Well, what I'd like to do is the following, is to make a few introductory comments on the book of Second Peter. And then after I speak the book of Second Peter from memory, is to work verse by verse through a section that has to do with the most important event in human history to come, the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Second Peter was probably written somewhere around like 66 AD, a couple years before the temple was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. The gospel has already gone a good generation or so from the fountainhead of the faith, Jerusalem, a little bit south to the region of Judea, and then a little bit north to the region of Samaria, and then from there it just exploded. It started to make its way to the uttermost parts of the earth. And one of the reasons it was able to make its way to the uttermost parts of the earth so quickly was thanks to those early evangelists harnessing the technology of the day, the Romans who built like the equivalents of 80s and 5s all over the world to get from point A to point B much quicker. So all that being said, the gospel has really made inroads into the Roman Empire, Caesar, at this time, your average Joe Blow Roman citizen would have worshipped Caesar as the son of God. Now, you have this rival son of God showing up on the scene, and to make it worse, my mom's from Mississippi, so I can say it. He's like from Mississippi, okay? He's like, he's from the region of Judea, like the end of the road, nothing good can come out of there. It's just a bunch of troublemakers and rabble-rousers, and it's just, come on. And so in order to try and put out this new faith, to extinguish this new faith from growing and growing and growing, someone had a terrible idea. (laughs) Well, they thought it was a good idea. Let's capture their ringleader, we would call him a pillar, Peter, and let's kill him. That'll surely put an end to this new religion. So according to church tradition, that's what happened. Peter was crucified in the center of town square in Rome with his wife next to him as an object lesson of what happens when you marry an evangelist. No, just kidding. (laughs) An object lesson of what happens, what happens when you defy the government, when you go against the empire. We're going to make you a lesson. And that's kind of what's going on in Peter's head is he's about to write this last word. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence 
to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it right, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able to, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart, knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But there were false prophets also among the people, and even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with fiend words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not, for God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment." And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that later should live ungodly. But he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with her unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of punishment. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of those things they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count to pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Curse children, 
which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. They are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom is reserved the midst of darkness forever. For while they speak oh, great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that are clean escape from them that live in error. For while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped this world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation but this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come is a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also in the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of person ought you to be in all holy living and godliness, looking for, hastening on to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blemish. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking them of which, some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable twist, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. But you therefore, beloved, seeing you've known these things before, beware 
lest you also be led away from the error of the wicked and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Not bad. Not bad. Amen. Okay. Well, 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's work through verses 1 through 11. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If you're taking notes, the, uh, the first seven verses, we can call this the denial of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The denial of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we zoom in a little bit tighter on those first seven verses, we can call the first two verses the purpose of the epistle. Why in the world did Peter write this letter and how does it apply to us. Verse number one. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. Okay, what's going on here? Who is he writing to? Well, he calls them in verse number one, his beloved, his beloved. Now, as everybody knows, the Bible was not written in King James English. And as you know, sometimes, you know, words can change meaning or they can change a shade of meaning or like Isaiah 53, right? He was wounded for our transgressions and he was... Didn't you guys go to Sunday school? He was bruised for our iniquities. That word bruise in Hebrew, for example, it doesn't mean this. You know, when you're running in the coffee table and the bruise goes away a week later, the Hebrew word there is daka, and that means to crush or to pulverize something beyond any recognition of its original state. Behold the man that's a man? Doesn't even look like a man once the Romans were done with him. So Jesus wasn't bruised. Jesus was crushed for our sins. So things like that. So as you know, sometimes we have to put our, you know, student hat on. And by the way, if you want to come tomorrow night, I'm teaching through the book of Revelation. Cross the street. It's six o'clock. Stop by. See if you like it. That being said, so this word beloved in Greek, it's agapetos. It means the one near and dear to my heart. That's who he's writing to. These aren't one of his, you know, 666 Facebook friends, okay? These are people who love him and he loves them. Maybe Peter helped plant these churches. Who knows? So that's who he's writing to. Now, Peter is either in Rome or in Babylon, depending on how you interpret Babylon from the end of 1 Peter. So he's in one of those two places, a good 10 to 14 day journey away in either direction. So this is the original audience in biblical Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. First Peter puts on a map where these places are for us. So what does he want to do? He says, I now write unto you. And that adverb now, it could infer that he is writing Second Peter right after the ink of First Peter dries because he knows he's going to die. He says in chapter 1, knowing that shortly, the sense is like within the hour, knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle. Or in other words, he is literally waiting for the executioner to come through the door to take him and to crucify him. He's got one last message left. And he's got to get it out, boom, quick. So this second epistle of it, I now write on to you. So what does he want to do? What's the objective? He wants to stir up their pure minds by way of remembrance. 
don't think of pure as like pure as the driven snow, okay? Think of sincere. Think of dedicated. Think of people who just don't go to church on Christmas and Easter, okay? Like people who love God, who do the best they can in this crazy world. They read the Bible, they study it, they pray, they go to church, they do whatever they can do. And that's going to be important in a second. He's not writing to, you know, Christmas Easter people. People who have skin in the game, okay? Sincere minds. They're sincere, they're dedicated, they love God. What does he want these people to do? Deagario. What's that? It's not a frozen pizza, okay? Deagario. It's something like this. My translation says stir up. Let's paint the picture. Chuck, are you here still? There he is. Let's say I went over to Chuck's house last night at, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the morning. Were you awake? You were at 2 a.m.? Oh, so was I. (laughs) So anyways, I go to Chuck's house, and with the intensity... Like the intensity that this church is on fire, literally. I say, wake up, wake up. That's kind of the oomph behind it. So in other words, within the context here, these great people who love the Lord, in regards to the second coming of Christ, what are they doing? You know? You know how it is. I got jury duty on Monday, then maybe jury duty on Tuesday, and then I got to go work out Tuesday night, and the kids have classical conversation on Tuesdays. Wednesday's Awana, Thursday's mom's group, Friday. They're all good things, but the last thing you think about day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out is, oh my goodness, (laughs) Christ might come now. You don't think like that. And since you don't think, don't act like that, there we go. Maybe it shows. It shows. Not good. He wants us to wake up. Okay, what's the tool, the means, the mechanism whereby we wake up? Verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. The application would be not that Chuck and Pastor Dr. Dan and the other guys here, not that just they would be mindful of what the Bible has to say about the most important event in human history to come, the glorious second coming of Christ, of which the Old Testament talks about some like close to 2,000 times, not verses, but talks about 2,000 times. But that you, how long have you had a Bible? How long have we been saved? How long have we been going to church? We should be off the milk and on the meat, most of us, and be able to walk through the Old Testament and walk through key passages that have to do with this glorious coming. Why? Well, in chapter 2, he kind of tips us off because there's something like, is there a lot of like false teachers and bad teachers in writing? I don't know. Maybe there is. I heard. Okay. It's like you need to be able to be responsible to study for yourself, to show yourself approved to God when you stand before him that you rightly divided this truth and you can understand it and apply it properly and live in light of this glorious coming from the Old Testament. And if that wasn't enough, which is a lifetime, I know. He also says, oh, that was written by the apostles. In other words, they didn't have, you know, like this part of the Bible, the New Testament at that time. They had letters in their church library from apostles and stuff. So an Old and a New Testament working knowledge of God's plan of the ages. Prophecy. Verses 3 and 4. Let's see another reason why it's so important. Verses 3 and 4. Because there is a denial of Jesus' return in the end. Verse 3. Knowing this first. Pause real quick. 
That's a literary device Peter uses to underline the importance of what he's going to say next. He does it at the end of chapter 1 when he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, if you say you have a prophecy or if you say you have a word, it's not from you. No prophecy of the scripture is of any private, my translation says interpretation. It should be Genesis. That's what it means. It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. The oracles of God. So he does the same thing here to underline the importance of what he's going to say next. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days. Now, are we living in the last days? You've been living in the last days the last 2,000 years. We have verses like 1 John 2, 18. He's probably the church, pastor of the church at Ephesus at that time. And he says to the people, little children, that's the people sitting in the pew, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Do you think he sounds wishy-washy? He knows what he believes. He lives and moves with the notion, with the idea that Christ can come back at any second. It's like in the book of of James. Come here, Lane. Come up front real quick. Like, how close is he to coming back? Can you just, like, go in there and just walk out? You'll know when. He's, thank you. Can you just go in there and walk out? You'll know when. Okay. We're friends. Don't worry. How close is he to coming back? You know, James, Jesus' brother, I mean, talk about a house to grow up in. Matthew 13, 55. Mary and Joseph had at least five boys. Jesus, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Not the And his, not, not yet. <laughs> You'll know when. And he had at least two sisters, because it says sisters, plural. What a house. Anyways, James says this, do not grumble against one another, brethren. Why shouldn't you fight with other Christians? Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The door. There we go. Thank you. Let's give it up for Lane, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Mike. No, I do know. He's fantastic. So they live and move and have their being with this idea, day in, day out, okay? Now, in these last days, we're there, been there, done that, as you know. Just look at what's going on around us, okay? There's a group of people coming in verse number three called scoffers. What's a scoffer? A scoffer is someone who derides. Can I have that? Who ridicules. Those of you from Anderson means tear to shreds, doctrines, (laughs) teachings of the greatest importance. That's what a scoffer is. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. No, 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 no. I went from ooze to the zoo to you by a series of time and chance. And over billions and billions of years, somehow along the way, you ended up with eyes that see and ears that hear. And that's what you get for about, you know, $40,000 a year at some Christian schools, parents. A total denial and rejection on the authority of the word of God 
Been there, done that. So that's where we're at. Now, they're not mocking the 2,000-year delay in the second coming. They're mocking the very notion. They're mocking the very idea that we live in a moral universe. I mean, you, you see the headlines just like I do. I mean, Lord have mercy on America. What happened in New York last week? What happened? Like... An abortion law passed that was what? Basically infanticide, right? Like as long as it doesn't come out, you can kill it. Oh my goodness. It's law. Law of the land in New York. We got to get our act together, guys. So he gives us an example here. He's, uh, they're scoffing. They're making fun of the word of God. They say, well, since the, these are religious people. Since the fathers fell asleep, or in other words, back to Adam... Okay, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. In other words, we don't live in a moral universe. You can do what you want, when you want, with who you want, and who are you to tell me otherwise? There is no absolute authority. Well, let's see the error in the claims of these people in verse number five. And remember, these are quote-unquote religious people under the umbrella of Christianity probably. But this they willingly are ignorant of. What's that mean? It means you have a Bible open and they have a Bible open, okay? Did you read the verse? Yes. Do you understand what the author is trying to get across? Yes. Do you believe it? Nope. I, I cannot accept this as the final authority. They're willingly ignorant. Well, what are they willingly ignorant of? That one time God did supernaturally intervene into space-time history and he judged the whole wide world with a global flood. What was the world like before the flood? We really don't know a lot, do we? We have a couple snippets of information from the old and the new. In Genesis 6, it says, there were giants in the earth in those days. Now, that word giant does not mean, you know, yo-ho-ho, green giant. It means like a political tyrant, like a Nimrod kind of person. That's what it means, a political tyrant. So there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Here's the line. God saw that the wickedness of man, oh my, wickedness of man was great in the earth. Whew, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the next line's the killer. Can you imagine bringing a child into this world and that child was so despicable, so nasty that you had pleasure, I don't know if I would use the word pleasure, that you have to kill them. Yeah. That's global scale. That's what it was like before the flood. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. Oh my Lord. And Jesus says just a little bit. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Here it is. What was it like before the flood, Jesus? Men are eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage till the flood came and took them all away. But so, does anyone like to eat? Yeah. Does anyone like to drink? Be careful, it's a Baptist. Oh, wait, you're not Baptist anymore. Community church. <laughs> yeah. Anyone like to get married? You like the process of getting married? Let's keep it G here, okay? Of course. That's what it was like. It's all about me, 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 I, I, I. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. No room for God before the flood. Eating, me, drinking, me, marrying, me, giving a marriage, me. I, I, no room for God. 
None. And that's what it was like before the flood, and that's what it'll be like before he comes back again. What was the tool, the means, the mechanism that God used to destroy the world of that first flood? That flood of water? His word. He says here in verse number six, basically in plain English, the same power that God used to create the universe which, by the by, is the same power of the word of God on your lap or on your phone. We do not act because we're dust. We're people. We do not act on what we know to be true. We know it's true. We believe it's true, but for whatever reason, we don't act on it. The word of God is quick. You just heard it. Powerful. Isn't it powerful? It's so different when you speak it and you believe it than doing what I'm doing now, commenting on it. It's different, isn't it? It has a... The same power God used to create is the same power that God used to put an end to that first of three worlds, Peter calls. Same planet Earth, three different ages. First world, the world that then was in verse number six, the world that then was, Adam to the flood. If you take Usher's chronology, 1,656 years, a long time. It took a long time for God to finally snap and kill all those people. Long time. But you have verse number two, or world number two. But hold that thought real quick on two. Let's go to three. What's world three? That's in verse number 13. That's the new heaven. That's the new earth. When Jesus Christ comes back literally a second time and steps on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives cleaves in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west, he'll establish his kingdom for a thousand years in Jerusalem. That's the third world but what have you done for me lately? <laughs> we're in the here and the now, right? This is what we're stuck in. That's verse seven. Anyone who's ever lived on God's green earth from the day Noah walked out of that box, the eight people who walked out of that box, whoever lived from then until this very day, till January 27th, 2019 AD, we've all lived in verse seven. The heavens and the earth, which are now, got it, by the same word, what word? The word that created the word that destroyed, the word that was born in, you know, Jesus created all things, Colossians chapter one, and by Jesus Christ, all things consist, or he's holding it all together right now with the power of his word. The sun is 93 million miles away, not 92, because, you know, you'd be like fried by tomorrow, and it's not 94, because you'd be frozen by tomorrow, but it's 93. Because that's where Jesus Christ put it when he made it. And he's holding it all together right now for a purpose. What's the purpose? To send another flood, but this time a flood of fire. Verses 8 through 11 as we finish up. Verse number 8. Oh, by the way, before I forget. I know most people don't come to church on Sunday night. I get it. We have four kids, you know. But come tonight. Because <laughs> tonight we're going to do at 6 o'clock, we're going to do the archaeology of Jerusalem. Okay, it's going to be in here, and it's going to be just like this, like the movies, okay? And look at all the great archaeological objects just for Jerusalem. It's going to be fantastic, okay? Verses 8 through 11 as we finish up. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. There's that word again, these people near and dear to my hearts. Now remember here, these people do not have the privilege. There's nothing wrong with it, but they don't have the privilege of padded pews and PowerPoints and hand sanitizer around every corner and getting an orange mocha frappuccino right outside those doors. Not that there's anything wrong with it. These people, it is hot. It is dusty. It is bloody. It's earthy. 
It's forbidden. It's illegal. And it is persecuted with a capital P. So these people, they're feeling it. So Peter wants to come along and encourage them. Oh, by the way, look at, this is they asked whatever, 1,000 or 10,000 Christians today. No matter where you're at on your end times chart, that's up to you, okay? But they just ask, would you think Jesus is coming soon? And look at this. There isn't this general consensus that we are living with the idea that he can come quickly. So he wants to encourage these people where it's a bloodbath out there. So what does he do? He goes to the Bible. What a novel idea. He goes back to the only psalm written by Moses, number 90, a thousand years in thy side, but it's yesterday when it is past and is a watch in the night. Moses is contrasting the eternity of God with the shortness of our lives. Peter takes that verse and maybe kind of reworks it a little bit to compare and contrast the sufferings of the people, the impatience with the people, with the plan and the clock and the timing of God. God has not forgotten you. Just be patient, finish strong, hang in there. What, if we can even say it, is holding God back, quote unquote, from crushing the world at the second coming? I think he infers in the next verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. What does that even mean? It means men are liars. Well, not men, but mankind <laughs> are liars. That's why you need sworn statements. That you want to borrow a quarter of a million dollars to build a house? Okay, well, sign in blood, because I don't believe you that you're going to pay it back. So the point is, is that God cannot lie. And even though it's long delayed, and even though it looks like he's not in the game, rest assured, he is. And the reason he hasn't come back yet, it tells us at the second half of the verse. Because he's not done saving people yet. And that, of course, as you know, is our, I went, just between friends, not out of compulsion, but I went like 700 straight days, 700 straight days, and I would not go to sleep until I told someone the gospel with my mouth, gave them the New Testament, or gave them a track. I wouldn't go to bed. I don't know what, something happened. I don't know what happened, but something happened to, I don't even remember the last time I much less invited someone to church. I don't remember the last time I told someone the gospel. I don't know what happened, but I can tell you what, it's not good. It's not good. Verse 10 and 11 as we finish up. Verse number 10, but, or in other words, even though it's long delayed, even though nobody thinks about it, it is a certainty that this is gonna happen. The day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? It's basically like Revelation chapter whatever, 6 through 19 or something like that. The seals, the bowls, the, these things, okay? The day of the Lord will come. It is a certainty. What accompanies the second coming of Christ? A great noise. In Greek, it's the word rosodon, rosodon, and it's used outside the Bible a lot. It's used outside the Bible for the sound of a an arrow that someone just shot at you to kill you. It's using the sound of a, s a killer snake who just bit you and killed you. It's the sound of a roaring, crackling fire that sounds like a jet engine just devouring everything in its path. That's what it'll sound like when he comes back a second time. What else accompanies the second coming? Elements will melt with fervent heat. That word element in Greek means things that stand in a row. Think of an alphabet. 
maybe, I don't know, a periodic table. Think of everything that Jesus is holding together right now by the power of his word in verse number seven. When he comes back, my translation says melt, but that word luo, it means better. He's going to let loose. He's going to unleash the wrath of the lamb. And then finally, verse 11. Verse 11 is the, 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 uh, the ball that Peter wants us to pick up and run out of here with. This is what he wants you to take home with you, this one thing in verse number 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, we know that everything's going to be, you know better than anybody, that everything, right, the idea of something being devoured by fire. You know better than anyone. It's going to happen on a global scale. And since that's the truth, Here's the challenge. What matter of person ought you to be in all holy living and godliness? My mom, my mom died like two years ago or something, something like that, two years ago or so. She was super young, 61, super young. And she was, she was doing great, healthy, just starting to see the little sprouts of her grandkids come up, okay? Just starting to see that. And then out of the blue, like a big bad boom, you better sit down for this. On your birthday, too. <laughs> you have stage four inoperable liver cancer, and you're going to be dead by the 4th of July. So, okay, you do what you can do, you know? You pray, obviously. You go to Mayo Clinic. They literally sold the farm. Literally. Guys, you ready for this one, guys? My dad sold. <laughs> His 1969 Dodge Super B, 440, Hemi. I mean, the thing was beautiful. <laughs> he sold that too. Because what, what, what is that compared to that, right? Sold it all. And, you know, now look at My mom wasn't perfect. Who is? She did the best she could in this crazy world. <coughs> she loved the Lord, read the Bible, prayed every day, raised up her kids the best she could. But I'll tell you what, when you know, despite that, when you know without a doubt you will stand before God and give an account for your life any day between now and the 4th of July, you begin to do one thing. At least you have the heads up, you know. You do one thing. You focus. One word, focus. In the light of eternity, this is important and that is not important. This is important. That is not important. And how she lived those last few months, that's how Peter is saying we should be living right now because he's so close to coming. He's on the other side of the door. Amen? <coughs> so this is the gang. We're doing fantastic. God's really blessing our family and our ministry. Hosanna is six and a half and Scarlett is five, and Abby is three, and Tommy is 20 months. I think we're going to take a break for now. But four is good for now. But, um, but this is what we do. We go from church to church to church to church and do this. And guys, God's opening up so many great doors. You know the ark, Answers in Genesis ark encounter? I'm speaking there every single day this summer. I'm, I'm doing this, but Genesis 1 to 11. And it's going to be fantastic. And God's really just on that level, scale, really blessed. Because it's his word. That's what it is. It's the power of the word of God. We're full-time missionaries. Pray for us. 
One way that you can help us, support us, is if you leave, there's a table, and on that table, there's some goodies. Now, that was just 11 verses we went through. This is like the whole book of Genesis, all 1,500 verses, verse by verse. The whole, I'm your only friend who has the whole book of Revelation memorized, okay? Right. The whole book of Revelation, verse by verse by verse by verse. Great movies on the archaeology of Jerusalem. What does Jericho look like? What did they find at Nazareth? How does it help us better understand the word of God? And all those goodies are back there. And come back tonight, 6 o'clock, archaeology of Jerusalem. And last but certainly not least, tomorrow night, just come over to the school at 6 o'clock. See if you like it, okay? It's 6 o'clock. We're going through Revelation. That's fantastic. May the Lord, are you glad you came to church today? Yes? All right. May the Lord bless you guys and keep you. Thank you.